Hey Moonies, welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria L. Johnson, and I'm here with Power and Magic Press founder, editor, publisher, and creator, Joamette Gill. <laughs> Hi, how are Hi. you? Hi. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, you obviously do hold many hats and you <laughs> have an amazing company. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so first question I ask everyone, so what's your first memory of watching Sailor Moon? My first memory of watching Sailor Moon is me uh, at probably five or six years old, sitting in my grandmother's living room and just watching it on the big old cube-shaped television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I also have early memories of uh, trying to convince my grandmother to watch it with me. By telling her that it's just like her soap operas. It has all the same drama and all the same romance. And yeah. The disguises and like the just tomfoolery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she she wasn't buying it. Uh, no. I think primarily because it was a cartoon. But also right. she didn't speak English. So I don't know how much she would have gotten out of it anyway. Yeah, that'd be difficult. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I had another guest actually on here. She grew up in the Dominican Republic. She she saw she said that when she saw it, she felt like it was kind of like a telenova, but that was geared towards her, you know, at her younger age. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's the first cartoon I remember watching that had the same level of uh, like character depth mm-hmm. and histories and uh, like relationship charts. Everyone had like. Like, you had a big ensemble cast, and everyone has their own little sub-dynamic, and so much of it was about how the different characters feel about each other in different circumstances, and mm-hmm. how they support each other, how they clash with each other. And it was also one of the first cartoons I remember watching that had, like, an actual plot. <laughs> right, just yeah. Like, like a little capsule episode for 30 minutes each time. Yeah, it was like a a continuing plot. I said that I was thinking that earlier too. It's so funny how you bring this up because um, I've been thinking. I think Sailor Moon might have been the first show where I I I wouldn't say I felt empathy for a character, but you know, like kind of like made me realize like, oh, I can have emotions that like relate to a TV show. That makes sense. Yeah, that that makes total Mm -hmm. sense. Like pretty much my relationship to every other cartoon character that I enjoyed mm-hmm. at the time was one of, oh, that one's cool. Or right, that or one's funny. funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it. it was interesting. Or like, oh, they look like they're having fun, but it was never like, oh, I feel sad for her. Oh, I want, I'm like heartbroken because she's heartbroken or he's heartbroken or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that definitely hits the nail on the head. <laughs> um, did you have a favorite scout or character? Yeah, I feel like the character or the Sailor Scout that's probably mm-hmm. the most like me uh, while I was watching it growing up is Sailor Mercury. Mm-hmm. But the one that I, the one that meant the most to me was Sailor Moon. Um, mm-hmm. And that's because I had like really, really bad self-esteem growing up. And it always sounds backhanded when I say this about Usagi, but I mean it in the best <laughs> way possible. But right. I, the message that really, really touched me in Sailor Moon was the idea that, like, 
even someone as useless and unreliable and like bad at school and like all this stuff as Usagi was a person who mattered and could make a difference in the world and Mm -hmm. who could share love and compassion for others. And because like, I didn't have very good self-esteem. It was sort of an example of like, oh, or is this cartoon telling me that like people have inherent value beyond like productivity or scholastic achievement? <laughs> right. <laughs> and more like like numerical, like quantitative things that like people apply pressure on to like kids for making good grades and doing their homework and like not messing up and stuff like that. Especially as like, a child of immigrants, I had like a huge amount of pressure put on me. It was kind of like this whole, um, it, it, it was the whole story of, uh, you need to be the very best at school or you're not going to get anywhere combined mm-hmm. with, we're not even from this country. We don't own anything. We don't have anything. So you're going to save the family by like going to college <laughs> when like no yeah. one else did. Uh, and like, I thought, gosh, I don't know if I can do this stuff. I don't know if I can carry this weight, but Usagi was there every day mm-hmm. on Tsunami, <laughs> like care- like saving the whole goddamn world. And she couldn't even like focus uh, at a chalkboard long enough before like wanting a donut. So if like Usagi <laughs> could do it, I could do it. <laughs> yeah. I think that captures it completely. Totally not backhanded. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. And I'm guessing like with Sailor Mercury, like were you um, like more studious when you were younger and like more school focused? Yeah, definitely very studious and school focused and like Mm -hmm. not the best at making friends. I usually had my nose buried in a book and I was like, like I was bullied as a kid and some of the bullying was literally like, look at her, she's reading, which is like Mm -hmm. (laughs) so 90s (laughs) and weird uh, to say now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, uh, so I also really liked, uh, the dynamic, uh, between Usagi and, uh, Ami when they met where Mm -hmm. this girl who's like sort of ostracized because not only is she sort of nose to the grindstone, like trying to focus on achievement, but also Mm -hmm. like people are intimidated by her and they're like, Oh, you know, she's that smart girl. We can't talk to her. We can't be friends with her. She doesn't want to be friends with us. And it just felt really good to Mm -hmm. see that, like, like in the form of Usagi, just like taking an interest in her and genuinely liking her, even without realizing she was one of the sailor scouts. It's like this idea of like, yeah, you know, someone like sailor Mercury also needs friends. (laughs) It doesn't matter how like, focused she is or how smart she is you you can't do without like people who just want to have fun with you and just want to be around you for you yeah and I think she also like she never was like oh you need to stop reading she was just like oh you read cool but like let's also like go to the arcade yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's also great just like and I and you make a good point too because I never realized like Usagi does befriend I think all the scouts most of them before they, she knows they're scouts. Mm-hmm. And that's a really cool thing too. Like she kind of does the same thing with Jupiter where she's like, oh, like people seem intimidated by you, but you seem cool and you have good food. So what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I think Ray, maybe not so much. I think they had like a a, a more of a um, bad first encounter, but, um, <laughs> but you know. 
yeah. still good vibes. Yeah, they're definitely like, oh, we're we're rivals before I realized that I like have to work with you now. You know, right. just to, and that's and that's part of what's so great about about the show. Because it's not even like, oh, we're all best friends and the end like it's we're mm-hmm. best friends and being a good friend is hard work and it like kind of shows you all the like conflicts that could come up between girls that still support and care about each other yeah yeah that's so true someone um put it on twitter the other day too where like um you know obviously sailor amars ray and usagi are rivals but um in one scene when they're kind of like banding together to fight somebody it's usagi grabs ray's hand first before all the other sailor scouts join in it is really cool just think like we're still teammates we're still friends even though we don't always get along like i still have your back and you have mine just you mentioning that like Mm -hmm. made my eyes like oh (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah it's so yeah it's so sailor moon (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Um, but yay um, your eyes are wet you're in the right place yeah <laughs> but um i do want to talk about your work too though um because you're also doing amazing things um with power magic press how did um well first for people who don't know what is it and um how did you come like what made you want to start it and how did it come about so power magic press is my publishing imprint i am the publisher editor, salesperson, everything. (laughs) It's just me. Mm -hmm. Um, And every year I choose a theme for a comics anthology. I put out submissions and uh, I select people for said anthologies and then I kickstart them. Uh, My uh, anthology themes in the past have been uh, queer witches of color, uh, non-binary forest, like folklore fantasy stories. Um, and uh, as of this recording, uh, funding on Kickstarter is our Latinx sci-fi uh, anthology. Uh, and honestly, I started I started the press in 2016 just with like nothing except the knowledge that Kickstarter exists and a vague idea of how to use it. Uh, and everything else just like sprouted from there. I was sort of getting tired uh, and frustrated by projects I'd been a part of or like wanted to be a part of uh, that um, weren't paying very much. Uh, And unfortunately, that's a big that's a big problem in the comics industry for various reasons. You know, sometimes sometimes it's institutional, sometimes personal, sometimes like they can be fixed, sometimes they can't. There's not a lot of money in comics. And I just sort of like decided, okay, well, I'm dissatisfied enough with how much I'm getting paid to do this incredibly hard work because making comics is very, very hard uh, Mm -hmm. that I felt motivated to create the sort of projects that I know I would want to apply for and pay the amount that would maybe not be like the ultimate in what the best page rate for a cartoonist would be, because again, I was starting with no resources, but that was still like higher by 
like an order of magnitude than what similar projects were paying. Like I decided, okay, I'm going to figure out what the standard is for anthologies and I'm going to pay double. We're going to start there. So it was basically born just out of like wanting to be the change mm -hmm. in the world. It's like, okay, well, what project would I be really stoked about? And like, how much would I prefer to be paid instead of this? Uh, so each anthology is geared around a different genre and also geared around giving a specific community of marginalized creators the spotlight. Um, like with Queer Witches of Color, only uh, creators of color on the spectrum of womanhood are allowed to even apply. Um, so that it's not like, so it's not like a competition of, um, it, it, so, so it's not like one of those things where like, oh, you know, we love diversity. We encourage applications mm -hmm. <laughs> for creators of color. It's like, right. no, creators of color are the only option. Like, mm -hmm. we're just going to say that right now. <laughs> right. So that it can be our thing. Uh, same with the non-binary anthology. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we've been uh, doing this since 2016. Uh, Mañana, the Latinx sci-fi anthology, is our fifth book. And we also recently signed with White Squirrel, which is a uh, indie slash small press uh, warehousing and uh, fulfillment center based in uh, Seattle, around Seattle, Washington. So we've also like recently graduated from my personal living room is full of thousands and thousands <laughs> of books that yeah. I take to the post office by myself to- wow oh, our printer in China s sends our big pallets directly to the warehouse. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's getting highfalutin around here. Yeah. <laughs> doing big things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. very excited about it and also very grateful to White Girl for existing because, like, that's sort of, option uh isn't easily accessible mm -hmm. normally for uh small presses but because they're like specifically geared to working with small presses it creates like it like opens up this whole new avenue for so many people yeah because i can imagine like most people they only want to print stuff if it's going to be in large volumes like they probably have minimums yeah I'm exactly. yeah 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 it really does help you know i'm assuming just you know for comics but also um it helps me like when I find other places where like, you know, you want business cards or you want uh, stickers and I'm like, I can't order 500, but I can order 50. <laughs> like... <laughs> so yeah, that is awesome. And yeah, shout out to them. That's amazing. I'm really excited. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize also that you, you only, um, you know, accept submissions from like either queer people or bi non-binary people or um, people of color. Like that really just cuts so much uh, out, you know, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. annoying things that can happen. <laughs> I like to joke that uh, Manana Anthology introduces mm -hmm. a new layer of diversity at Power and Magic Press because it is our first anthology that has cis men in it. Oh. <laughs> I love that. It's like... <laughs> I want to live in the world where adding cis men is the diversity. 
if yes. only. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that'd be a great world. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we have one white guy who's <laughs> cisgendered and straight. <laughs> um, and you also letter your letterer. Yes. Um, yes I thought that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an art. I feel like so many people don't appreciate it. Um, yeah, de- mm-hmm. definitely not. It's, um, yeah, and I think part of that is that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't understand how to actually do it or like Mm -hmm. what, what goes into it. And I think that's an issue with like, I guess the arts overall, like if you're not, if you're not like in that, if you're not in the arts or you're not in that specific, like subsection of the arts, you just kind of look at the finished piece and say, oh, wow, cool. With like no (laughs) appreciation or true understanding of like, how many hours that took, mm-hmm. like how much someone's back hurts from sitting <laughs> at the computer that long. Like there's, right. like, there's no frame of reference. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I lettered comics. Uh, mm-hmm. I've lettered for uh, Lionforge, uh, Oni nice. Press, Dark Horse, and a lot of like independent folks as well. It's, it's actually my favorite part of the comics process (laughs) (laughs) um like i i publish i edit i draw i write but if like if someone told me you're only allowed to letter for the rest of your life i'd be like you know what that tough but fair (laughs) (laughs) i'll take it yeah yeah i'll I'll, that's fine Yeah. (laughs) yeah i feel like it's like um like lighting in movies like you don't realize it's bad until you find like see something or like oh the lighting in this is bad like you know <laughs> like oh the lettering in this is like I've seen some stuff and I'm like oh like this lettering is off and I'm like I don't realize it's something that I appreciate until I see some see it not as good yeah that mm-hmm. it's exactly like that just like mm-hmm. like CG CG mm-hmm. in like a live action film always looks the best when you have no idea you're even looking at it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't want to be seen. <laughs> you don't want people to know you're there. Um, unless yes. they look at, you know, yeah. And sometimes I worry about like, I worry about coming coming off as like too much, like as an mm-hmm. editor, whenever, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like so, when folks comics get to like the lettering phase. And I've given them their script notes. I've given them their art notes and all that. Then we get to lettering. And I'm like, I have so many more notes about these letters than about like literally any other phase (laughs) (laughs) that we just went through. And it's like this long. It's like, I'm like, I'm sorry, y'all. This is the phase where I like literally see everything. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. (laughs) No, I get it. I feel like everyone has one thing and that's your thing. And that's. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Um, and obviously you love Sailor Moon. Is there any other anime that you are a fan of? Oh yeah, tons. Tons and mm-hmm. tons. Uh, the one that's sort of on the same level in terms of the impact it's had on my life is Cardcaptor Sakura. Oh, nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, have you liked the, the new version? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've liked it. There are things about about it that um or there are things that I preferred 
in the original, but mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's only natural. I was right. a child, <laughs> but I saw the original. Yeah, uh, and I, I I hope my sensibilities have changed a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, the uh, like I feel like Sailor Moon was the show that sort of introduced me to um, the idea that storytelling could storytelling in cartoon form could like what it could be um and then cardcaptor sakura sort of that that was the one where i felt most like immersed in the world um and i think it was because it was lower key Mm -hmm. i think it was because it focused on one girl's experience as opposed to an ensemble Mm -hmm. um and it was so much more like fine-tuned as a coming of age story uh with sailor moon it sort of was like the girls are sort of evolving and and like relating with each other and coming of age uh while the plot was happening Mm -hmm. and then with cardcaptor sakura it's like the plot shows up every now and then while Sakura like comes of age. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually never asked this. What's your first movie watching Cardcaptor Sakura? I think the first time I watched Cardcaptor Sakura was actually um I caught like the last ten minutes of an episode on the WB mm-hmm. when I was like ten and I thought, this looks real dumb. Um, <laughs> 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 no, yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Then I watched, and then I sat down and watched the entire, like, well, the dubs version of the first episode, because mm-hmm. that dub is, that dub is wildly bad. But the <laughs> dubs version of the first episode came on one day on Tsunami, I think when I was mm-hmm. 11 or 12. And it was after the, I think the end of like the Dark Moon arc or something. Oh, and Sailor Moon. Of Sailor Moon. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I was like, okay, cool, season finale. I'm gonna come back home from school tomorrow and see the new season of Sailor Moon. But the next thing to come up in Sailor Moon was gonna be Sailor Stars, and that never got brought over. Right. So the next day, Toonami made the switch over to airing Cardcaptor Sakura for the first time on their network. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm always in front of the TV at this half hour anyway. So I guess I'll watch this (laughs) instead. Uh, And the, the dub pilot like hooked me completely. Uh, So then that became, that became my new show. And yeah. Yeah. I just, I just love it. My like Sailor Moon made me want to, do something with storytelling and art as mm. a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cardcaptor Sakura sort of is probably the biggest like influence content and like ethos wise to like the stories I actually tell. Mm. Um, so like world building. Yeah, like, like stuff that's very mm-hmm. stuff that's very one one or two people's inner worlds mm-hmm. focused with magical ships kind of <laughs> surrounding them <laughs> um 
And like, I think one of the, the sort of most meaningful lines to me in fiction is from Cardcaptor Sakura. Uh, it's this recurring theme where Sakura will be feeling like she can't she can't do this or she's nervous or she's not sure if she's strong enough or powerful enough. Um, and her, her sort of magical guardian, uh, Keroberos will always remind her, well, don't forget, no matter what happens, if you, your resolve fails or your powers fail, remember your invincible spell. You have one spell that no one can beat. And the incantation for that spell is everything will absolutely be okay. Hmm. I like that, yeah. That's, you know, I'm getting teary-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like all misty over here too. Like, and, and it just happens throughout the show. Like Sakura will have to like center herself and calm herself during a bad situation. And she just whispers to herself, everything will absolutely be okay before she goes yeah. out and does what she has to do. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I was late to um Cardcaptor Sakura. I also like watched it when I was younger, but but for some reason, just never like grabbed me like other shows, especially Sailor Moon. Um, mm. and then later on, like a few years ago, it's like you know what? Let me go watch this show because clearly, you know, it's it's been an important show for so many people, especially for a lot of Sailor Moon fans. Um, and I think I got through the first. I think I watched one of the movies, and then I watched like the first season of one. But I really need to finish it because I did enjoy it a lot. Um, mm. I just got distracted with life. I mean, life's yeah. life's pretty interesting. So <laughs> it is pretty interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so many things going on in the world. Um, and outside of anime, what do you stand, or what else do you stand? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. Um, I guess right out the gate, I'm not I'm not much of a uh, fandom person mm -hmm. like okay. like I don't I don't write fanfic or draw fan art or anything like that like I have in the mm -hmm. past but it's never been like like I've never been like oh I'm part of that community mm -hmm. and like I don't buy merch because I'm I don't know I'm like utilitarian <laughs> yeah. uh, but but I guess like properties that get me like heated I mm. think like yeah even in a good way like where I'm like excitedly heated and I like mm -hmm. have so many emotions and no one's leaving this room until they hear them. Uh, right. <laughs> You're all hostage now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of those is Avatar The Last Airbender for sure. Awesome. Yes. You know, as you were saying that, I was like, that's mine. Like, like I have opinions <laughs> before anyone can leave the room. <laughs> I think that as well as... Um, Gosh, what was the other one I was going to say? Mm. Oh, Naruto. Oh, I yeah. will talk someone's head off <laughs> <laughs> about Naruto and about uh, the Game of Thrones show, even mm. with like including the criticisms. But yeah. I can like go off about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to pick. I'm like, I want to ask what's your hottest take of one of them? Oh gosh. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's a that's yeah. a fair question. I'm just trying to. Yeah, it's a fair and it. dangerous question. <laughs> yeah. 
It doesn't have to be a, a controversial or a uh, unconventional one, but just like, what's your like, this is what I feel so much about this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is a little bit of a cop out because I feel like everyone agrees with this one, but mm-hmm. uh, I feel like Naruto and Sasuke were like one of the best gay romances of all time. Uh, (laughs) And the fact that they don't end up together is absolute robbery. Uh, It's robbery. It's tomfoolery. It's erasure. It's like, (laughs) like, I don't even care that Kishimoto didn't intend them to be like, he's wrong about his characters. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching it and like, even though obviously Naruto's like quote unquote in love with Sakura, I'm like, he clearly like he is like chasing after Sasuke. <laughs> like he's not giving at half as much energy to Sakura. <laughs> he like yeah. he's like in love with Sakura mm-hmm. in the sense that like she's a girl and she's the one that's in front of him the most. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, like default. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's but, that's like one of the biggest problems in Naruto, obviously. Like mm-hmm. the girls are all very like defaulty yeah. like characters. Every team uh from their uh ninja school is two guys and a girl. So literally every girl is a token within a subset of the characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is unfortunately true (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um yeah i think that's a good take i think i wasn't expecting i thought you were gonna say the um that uh zuko and tatara should have got together (laughs) because that is also a thing for me but yeah that's another thing Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a thing for me too and like Mm -hmm. Whenever people disagree, I'm, like, just so confused. (laughs) Me too. Like, I just, I watched the show. Actually, that was another one I was late to. So I watched it, like, maybe, like, two or three years ago. um, All the way through. And, like, the whole time, I'm like, oh, obviously, this is where this is going. Like, there was even, like, they were like, oh, you're going to get with a strong bender. And I was like, oh, they're making you think it's going to be Aang, but it's really going to be Zuko. I'm like, I know. I see what's going on here. And I was so confused at the end. (laughs) But... (laughs) Yeah, but those are good. Yeah, there um, are a lot of um I feel like there are a lot of like accidentally engaging romances written by male writers who aren't trying to write one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then when they are trying to write a romance, it's like, no, no dummy you mm-hmm. you just did it right over there like do that if you must. yeah just do that but with the characters you're actually trying to bear <laughs> yeah no that makes sense i feel like a lot of straight men in general um in real life will like i would say value their um friendships more but like they like will like oh yeah we're going like they like i don't know it feels like they treat their friendships more differently than they would a relationship or like pursuing someone like i don't know i have to think about that more there's something there <laughs> there's something it, it, there there's a scene <laughs> yes there is a tweet thread in there somewhere <laughs> but, 
Um, but you have power magic press. What advice would you give to writers who want to start their own publishing company or if they want to get chosen to be in your next anthology? Okay. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. start with the second one. Cause that's easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cool. uh, best way to get into a power magic press anthology is to follow us on Twitter so that <laughs> you don't miss the call for submissions. That is step one, because after, yes. every time I launch a Kickstarter, I hear from folks that are like, oh my God, it looks amazing. How do I submit? And I'm like, that part's over, baby. Right. <laughs> that's See you that's next done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely like, and, and not just with Power Magic Press, any publisher that you want to pitch mm-hmm. to, like follow them, like keep track of what they're up to and like what they're looking for and when they're looking for it. Uh, you gotta, you gotta stay on top of it and stay abreast of the industry. Um, for, for just writing or writers who want, who would want to start their own press or their own imprint in general. Um, I think my advice to them would be the exact same advice I give for like, what's your advice to artists? What's your advice Mm -hmm. to like, whomever who's just trying to like even exist in the industry at all um yeah and that is uh be kind uh Mm -hmm. be kind and be social um and to expand on that every part of the industry is built upon relationships like for example when i put out a call for submissions for the very first power magic press anthology it's unlikely that as many people who saw it would have seen it if I had just shown up out of the blue. If like no one in comics knew who the heck I was. Um, right. And not in a like, oh, I was famous way. Cause I was and would argue am not famous. <laughs> um, uh, but I had a lot of friends and like a lot of colleagues and a lot of acquaintances and just a lot of people who I would talk to about comics and who I'd acknowledge and talk to about their stuff that they're working on and who I would share my works in progress with, like just being part of the community and like being, being a known entity to like people who are in the same struggle as you makes it way more likely that when you come out and you say, well, okay, y'all, I'm doing something big. Can y'all spread the word that people know who you are? They'll remember, oh yeah, this person who gave me a good critique or this person who is always liking all my uh, art posts, this person who gave like a really good resource link to the group the other Mm -hmm. day. Like they're more likely to see that from you and say, I'm going to retweet. I'm going to email my friends. I'm going to post it here. I'm going to do this and this and that. And like in a nutshell, like most people call that networking. Um, But I think when people hear networking, they, they sort of sometimes get it into their heads that they're like, okay, got it. I got to fill a Rolodex. I got to call in favors. I got to do this. I got, I need contacts and like, think about it in a very clinical way. Whereas, um, Yes, it is who you know more than what you know, but you got to be a good person about it. (laughs) 
So yeah, you want to be a genuine part of your creative community, not simply so that you know the right people, quote unquote, um, mm -hmm. but also because literally everyone out there is also like benefiting from knowing you, even if you think, oh, I'm nobody, I'm no one's, I'm no one's contact, I'm no one's in nobody's well you'd hope most people's careers don't stay in the same spot forever mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good point you never know who's gonna can help you further down the line who you're gonna be able to help further down the line exactly and it's mm -hmm. and it's also really important to like focus on being in community with people who are at least roughly in the same stage of their career as you as well because mm -hmm. i know a lot of people can feel t tempted to be like oh well this writer's like way ahead of me and they've got all these cool projects and i look up to them and they're so great i'm gonna be their friend and i'm gonna aggressively try to be their friend it's like number one no one wants to be aggressively chased for friendship by a stranger <laughs> <laughs> number two <laughs> number two um those people all like usually are where they are because they have their own creative community that cared about them before they were cool. So like, mm -hmm. it makes more sense to just be in it with people honestly and make friendships and help other people if you expect to be helped by others. And if you help each other enough, you'll, some, you'll often find that your careers start to progress at roughly the same rate. It's like, hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> Right. It's yeah. You're lifting each other up. Yeah. That's actually has been that same advice has been really helpful with this podcast because I was kind of like in the comics and anime nerd space before launching this podcast. So when I finally launched it, it was like, hey, guys, I'm doing this thing. You know me from these things. Yeah. <laughs> if you like those things <laughs> and you like me. Yeah. Support. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. while while everyone, I feel like everyone inherently like, deserves the opportunity to like fulfill their dreams and do their projects. Mm -hmm. No one is entitled to like hype and support or like a boost from like the specific people they pick. Like no one mm -hmm. gets to like, like no one gets to go up to you and be like, um, I'm a writer and my career matters to me. Therefore you owe me like that. Right. <laughs> that's not no. how that works. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way to get not not in a great position. <laughs> um, and then, you know, just like Sailor Moon, at the end of the Toonami episode, she would have the Sailor Moon says phrase. Um, what would your phrase be? So Sailor Joamet says. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Sailor Joamet says that even though times are tough right now and none of us are able to be physically with our friends or not all of our friends or all of our loved ones, there is something really special happening because as a species, we are experiencing something simultaneously something that is making us all think very, very hard. 
about what we used to value, what we used to believe, what we used to think was impossible, what we now think is necessary. And I think that we can turn all of the struggle that we're having right now into something much better than what we had before. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's so true. There is something very special and unique about everyone on earth experiencing the same thing. Like no matter how much money you have, no matter like your race or like no matter like anything about you, like we all have to like, should be quarantining. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, are experiencing this this thing together. And yeah, I like that. And yeah, I hope we do come out better than we were before. We better. I feel like like we're screwed if we don't at this point. (laughs) Oh gosh. You know, I I'm trying to stay optimistic. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not optional at this point. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I guess the optim I guess I'll be happy if we make it out of here. We make it out better. I'll be very happy. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and what's next for you and where can people find you? Wow, what's next for me? Mm-hmm. Uh probably after Manana anthology funds, I'm going to take a big old break. Yes. <laughs> uh probably wait a year before putting out another call for submissions, focus on my writing, focus on my lettering. Uh, definitely keep your eyes on Dark Horse and Oni Press for some things on the lettering front from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, was there a second part to your question? <laughs> where can people, where do you want people to find you? There we go. That's what I thought <laughs> yeah. it was, but I wasn't sure I remembered it correctly. Uh, yeah, I hear you. People can find me uh, most easily on Twitter. My handle is at Gill. That is spelled J-O-A-M-E-T-T-E-G-I-L. From there, you can find my website. You can find my Power Magic Press Twitter. You can find pretty much everything about me except my social security number. Uh, (laughs) So that is your one-stop shop. Yeah, it's kind of scary how Twitter is like, you can find every single thing about me. A few personal details, but you'll know all my hot takes about Avatar The Last Airbender from me on Twitter. Exactly. Naruto Sailor Moon and Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. I am already following you, but I would be following you. I would follow you again if I could in that description. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and once again, I'm Victoria L. Johnson. This is the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast. Um, and you can find me at Miss Old School. It's Old School with a K. And you can find the podcast at Mooney's Club on Twitter and Mooney's underscore club on Instagram. And thanks for listening, Mooney's. And thanks for coming on the show, Joe Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Yeah.